So I still have a couple thoughts I want to share related to money just to finish up this series that we've been talking about. Uh, just to recap for where we've been this month, the month of January. Thank you all for letting me talk about money for four weeks, I think, for a month. For a month we've talked about money. And uh, I will just tell you up front, I had qualms about it. I was nervous about standing up and talking about money uh, just because as a pastor, you have all those things that you always hear people say, like uh, people in the neighborhood say, oh, all they ever talk about in churches are money. And it, it could be this really weird and awkward thing. And you guys haven't made it that way at all. So God helped me deal with some of those insecurities. So I appreciate you letting me talk about money for the whole month. But just to wrap up. Uh, where we've been so far this month, the first week, we kind of talked about money being the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That money itself is neutral, it's just a tool, but we have to watch uh, because money will often reveal the relationship that's in our heart and what's going on. And, and our relationship with money could become good, bad, or ugly. If it's good, we stay in a place where we're generous and thankful. If it's bad, we start to love it. And if it gets ugly, it becomes our God. So we don't want to be in the bad or the ugly place. Uh, then the, the one week we talked about things that we learn from Jesus' relationship with money, that lack is not a fruit of the kingdom of God, that he always had provision in his life. There's no record of Jesus ever going somewhere and not having what he needed to do what God had called him to do. So lack is not in the kingdom. Uh, we talked about Jesus picking Judas to be the treasure. Even though he knew what was in Judas's heart, he didn't stop that from occurring. He didn't stop it from picking him. Uh, so the lesson we took out of that is don't let somebody else's bad relationship with money ruin yours. You don't have to have a certain relationship with money just because your friend, your business partner, your mom and dad modeled it for you. Uh, you can still have a good relationship with money in spite of the people around you. Uh, Jesus didn't let Judas's dishonesty hinder the ministry that he was called to do. And then uh, we also said from Jesus's life, people are more important than money. So no matter what else we take away from it, our relationship with money, whatever it looks like, people are still number one in God's eyes and they need to be number one in our eyes. Uh, I shared the example of if you've ever had a kid that came home and they crashed your car, hopefully the first thing out of your mouth as a parent wasn't, what's the matter with the car? How much is that going to cost? Hopefully it was, hey, are you okay? I love you. I'm glad you're okay. That's People are more important than money and the stuff that money accumulates. Uh, then last week, uh, we said a couple things. We talked about generosity produces good character because it's godly. In God so loved the world that he what? He gave. So God is primarily a giver. And when we become givers, that makes us more godly. We look more like him because we choose to give as he gives. Uh, we saw the woman putting the two coins in last week. And we said that poverty is not an excuse not to give. That it's more about an attitude in our heart than it is an amount that we put in somewhere. So poverty doesn't, doesn't necessarily prevent us from giving. And we actually said that our ability to give is rooted in God's ability to provide. And the more we are confident in his ability to provide for us, the more it increases our faith to give. Because I know that I didn't earn it myself anyway. Even the ability to, to gain wealth comes from him in the first place. So if I understand that he can provide no matter what circumstance or situation I find myself in, it increases my faith to give. And then uh, we read a couple of scriptures last week that scripture actually promises blessings to be poured out in our lives when we become generous. That he says generous people will prosper. And he was talking about spiritual and material things. It's just the promise that God gave that he activates. Giving activates that in our lives. So a couple of quotes that we've looked at. 
during the weeks. I hope you appreciate it. Uh, these aren't necessarily Bible quotes, but uh, there's tons of money quotes out there. So I wanted to give you a couple. Uh, the first one says, a fool and his money get lots of publicity. Seems like rich people always make the news for doing dumb things with their money, doesn't it? So it's, you know, it's not that they're just soon parted. It's like they get publicity because everybody sees the dumb choices they make. Uh, I like this quote. He says, uh, time is more valuable than money because you can always get more money. You can't ever get your time back. So we need to keep our priorities in order. You know, people say time is money. No, it's really not. You, you can always find a way to make more money, but you can never get your time back. So we need to be more concerned about what's happening with our time. Uh, here's another quote I saw. It says, my wallet is like an onion. Every time I open it, it makes me cry. <laughs> I, have, I have not carried cash in my wallet for years, so I, it's true. Uh, this next quote is actually from Warren Buffett. thought this was interesting. He says, because I don't know many billionaires, so, but this is a quote from somebody who does know a bunch of billionaires. Uh, he's, Warren Buffett says, of all the billionaires I have known, if they were jerks before they had money, they are now simply jerks with a billion dollars. Isn't that true? Just suddenly getting a whole windfall of money doesn't change your character. If you weren't a giver before you got money, you won't be a generous person after you get money. If you treated people poorly before you got money, you'll still treat people poorly afterwards. So I thought that was interesting that he actually saw that in his life. He's like, they're just jerks now with a billion dollars. And uh, I like this quote. It says, sometimes... You have to say no to yourself now, so later you can say yes. That's that's actually a quote from Dave Ramsey. uh, Live like nobody else now, so you can live like nobody else later. But in this this age of, hey, instant gratification, I see it, I want it, I got to have it. uh, We sound like a two-year-old sometimes. Hey, I want this. And you say, no, you can't have that now. But I want it. But I want it. Anybody ever hear that at their house from... I was thinking two-year-olds, but then I looked at Silas and I'm thinking... The size doesn't act like that. I was just kidding. Uh, But sometimes we need to go against what the culture preaches and actually come to a place where we know that we can say no to the things that we want, desire or see the flash and the glitz. We can say no now so that we set ourselves up to be in a prosperous place later. It's called being wise with our money. It's, It's called putting off the things that we want. The instant gratification culture going against that grain. So I thought that was interesting. Sometimes you say no to yourself now, so later you can say yes. And then I saw this cartoon, and I just wanted to put it up there. If you've ever had a conversation on text with your kids, Mom, can you lend me 30 bucks? She says, no, do you think money grows on trees? And the kid says, what's money made of? And the mom says, paper. She says, where does paper come from? And then the mom had no response. So... We have, to, we have to teach our kids wisely about money because they know all the angles and you'll end up having a conversation like this. You think money grows on trees? Well, actually, that's where it comes from, but it's not really that easy. Uh, and so a few weeks that we've talked about money, we said one of the ways to get out of a bad or an ugly relationship with money, one of the ways to be generous, to be prosperous in our lives is to begin to give. So last week we talked about the power of generosity. This week I want to talk a few things about why we specifically give to our local church. Why is giving to the church different than just giving my money away on the street corner? So that's what I want to look at today. Uh, there is specifically a blessing promise for giving to the church in the word. Uh, there's two ways that money comes to the church. And this may not seem like rocket science to everybody, but it is it is an amazing truth. There's two ways money comes to the church. It comes from people inside the church giving. It comes from people outside the church giving. 
Isn't that amazing? There's, there's like no other way. It really comes to the church. I don't have a printing press in the basement of the house next door. We don't have... It's people bring money to the church. And the only difference is some of them are already people in the church and some of them are outside the church that give money. So we're going to look at uh, how those two things are different, why we give as people inside the church, uh, why we want to give, why we should be stirred to do that. Uh, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 25, the Lord said to Moses... Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. So the people that were part of Israel, the people that were being led by Moses, they were walking through the desert, they were going into the promised land. Uh, the people that were part of that family, of that congregation, were the ones that God told Moses, ask them to bring in an offering to build my sanctuary. Uh, so what he was doing is he was saying, hey, they were giving towards the place that God wanted to be built. And specifically, uh, the offering, that place that they were building was helping them to connect to God. That was where his presence was housed. That was where when they had a question, they would come see the high priest. They would hear God's voice. So the, what we take away from that is one of the places we as the community of believers are supposed to give is to the place that helps us with our walk with the Lord, that helps connect us to God. So we're not, we're not looking at it and saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be generous by giving somewhere else. I'm saying I'm going to sow into the place that's helping me in my relationship. Because there, there is something, there is spiritual growth that occurs because we're connected to the church. We've, we've said that before. It's very hard to have spiritual growth happen in your life if you're not connected anyway. You, you don't know if you're growing, if you're even having the fruit of the Spirit developed in your life, if you're never around God's people, if you're not connected to his family. I don't know, how do I know if I'm being kind if there's nobody that rubs me the wrong way ever in my life? And that's good, bad, or ugly, whether we like it or not. That's one of the things that happens in church. Sometimes we get rubbed the wrong way and we get opportunities to grow, but it happens in the context of the church family, and that's part of the reason we give towards the church, because we are connected here. Uh, in the New Testament, Paul told the Corinthian church on the first day of every week, First uh, Corinthians sixteen two, he says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Uh, Paul was actually going to visit them to receive some money for the church in Jerusalem because they were being persecuted. They needed the money for what they were trying to minister to the people in Jerusalem. Uh, so, in other words, the people in the church were providing for the needs of of the church. It may not have been in the same city, the same exact congregation, but it was God's people providing for God's people. So that's part. That's another reason why we give as people in the church. So uh, the question that always comes up after that, because you talk with people about, well, if you're if you're a member here or you're attending here, you're getting some something out of here, you should be giving here. The next question I invariably get is, well, how much should I give? What are you asking of me? Is are we going to sit down with a list? Can I just tell a story? I actually heard uh, some people told me that happened to them one time that uh, the pastor of the church or one of the elders said, hey, we'd like to have you come to a special meeting. It's going to be in the church fellowship hall after church uh, in two Sundays. So they show up for this meeting and the, the pastor had a list of all these couples names that he had invited and a dollar amount that he said, this is how much you need to commit to give to the church next year. And I was like, no wonder church gets a bad rap and there are abuses of money out there. I'm like, I can't in my wildest dreams ever imagine doing that to somebody saying, hey, come and sit down. We're going to talk about how much you need to give next year, because that is a question that comes up, though. 
People were asking, how much should I give? And I guess he just took it the next step, which I think is an abuse, and that's wrong. So that won't happen here. But, yeah, <laughs> how much should you give? Well, give me your checkbook, and I'll look, and I'll write something for you. No, we're not going to do that, because here is the New Testament standard for giving. Okay, So everybody pay attention if you're not already. This is what you are supposed to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And here it is. You can underline this in your Bible. Say, this is what pastor told me I'm supposed to give. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. That is the New Testament standard for giving. He doesn't say anything about an amount. He focuses on your heart attitude. If, if the offering plate goes by and you're like, man, I don't really want to put this in and you're wrestling with it and it's not going to be good for you, don't put it in. And I don't, I don't care about the numbers we just showed that giving was down last year and we went ahead or behind. If that's the attitude, just don't put it in. God wants us to be cheerful and willing. And what, what we are blessed the most by is when we decide this is how much I'm supposed to give and I'm excited about it. I can't, I can't wait to give. I know I'm participating. I'm sowing a seed. Whatever version, whatever language you want to put on it, we should be happy and excited to give. And if we're reluctant or you feel that compulsion, like pastor's expecting this because he gave me the list and told me how, it's not God speaking to you then. Just, just keep it. It'd be better for all of us. He does, though, the verse before, say that the quantity of what we reap in our lives is directly proportional to what we decide to give. So I think we should consider that when we're deciding what to give. You know, I'm I'm sitting, we're praying together. Hey, what are we going to give this week? What are we going to give? Oh, pastor, we're doing a missions offering next month. What, What should we pray about and give? There should be some measure of, okay, if I sow sparingly, I can't expect to reap much. I think the, the picture I gave a couple of weeks ago is we, we stand there with our 50-gallon barrel wanting God to pour his blessings in, but we're only willing to take a thimble and pour it out to other people. I can't expect God to fill my 50-gallon barrel if I'm only using a thimble to pour it back out. So only give what you've decided in your heart to give and do it cheerfully. But Paul also says, hey, if we want to reap a generous portion in our lives, we should sow generously also. Uh, so then the next question I get after that, people say, OK, I'm down with that pastor. Give give what I've decided in my heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. What about tithing? Anybody ever get that question next? You know, because because we talk about it all the time. We talk about tithing is good for us. We ought to tithe. We ought to do it. And uh, what happens tithing for those of you that don't know that term or you've never heard it before? Tithing literally means 10 percent. That's what the word tithe means if you go look it up. And we talk about giving 10%. And, and what will happen is we always go back to the Old Testament scripture in Malachi. If you've ever sat in a church service where you've had somebody preach about tithing, he, he says, you're robbing me. And they say, well, how are you robbing me? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And it says this in Malachi 3.9. It says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And he goes on. But what happens is a lot of pastors, they stop after preaching Hey, you're under a curse if you don't tithe. You ought to do this. And we turn it into this like protection money scenario. Like if you don't bring your 10%, something bad's going to happen to you. You know, like God's, God's going to send Michael and the, and the other angels and they're going to have on black gloves and have their, you know, beat you up for not tithing or something. That's not how it works. We, we have to read, you know, because that is also an abuse. 
of the money message to say that if you don't if you don't tie something bad is going to God's going to smite you. You're under a curse. We have to read that verse in Malachi in conjunction with Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. If you if you say that you're cursed, if you don't tithe, then you have to like just mark out or delete Galatians three out of your Bible there. It says Christ freed us from the curse. So why do we tithe? Why do we still preach that? Why do we say it's a good idea? If you go back and read that Malachi passage, there were two parts there. God had pronounced a curse which Jesus came and took away, but God also pronounced blessings. There were cursings and blessings. Jesus didn't do away with any of the blessing part. In fact, he came to amplify the blessings to say, hey, everything I promised to Abraham and all the patriarchs on down, you get it now by being in Christ. And so we go back and read the passage in Malachi. God said, test me in this. And he, the, t- the testing part didn't say, test me in this and see if I don't smite you if you don't give. It said, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the windows of heaven and pour out more blessings than you can even contain. That's why we still talk about tithing, because it positions us in a place where the windows of heaven are open my, over my life. And I see blessings begin to roll out so much that I can't even hold or contain them. I don't personally in our family... We, we don't tithe out of obligation because we feel like, oh, God's going to curse us or we're going to be smitten if we don't tithe. We tithe because we see the blessings of God pour out in our lives when we do it. It's, it's just part of being generous. It's part of the lifestyle that we've adopted. It's, it's part of what we taught our kids. We give at least 10%. That's, that's like, how much should you give? I don't know. It's up to you. Each man should give what he's decided in our heart. But we feel as a family... 10% is a good starting point for us. Like, that's the minimum we look at. And if you even go to worldly financial counselors, like, so guys that aren't Christians, you go say, help me with my budget. Most of them will tell you, hey, you need to follow the 80-10-10 plan. Anybody ever hear of that? They say, you should learn to live on 80% of your income, save 10%, and give 10% away. Now, that's guys that don't even know the Bible, don't know Jesus. They're, they're just giving you worldly financial advice, and they say, give 10% of your income away. Why? They may not know it, but it activates blessings in our lives. It helps us become more generous. It positions us under a place where the windows of heaven are open. So, I think what I put on the screen there... Uh, It says, we believe that giving a tithe of our income is not an obligation, but a practice that positions us to see more of the blessings of God in our lives. That's how we look at it. Proverbs 3, 9 talks about honoring the Lord with your wealth. And what does he say? He says, give the first fruits or the best, the first things we earn. Uh, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You'll have joy in your life. You'll have blessing. You'll have abundance come to you when you're generous and you honor the Lord with your first fruits. You guys okay with me saying that? Everybody, everybody's giving me a little bit smile. No tense smiles. Everybody's like, okay, pastor, we're down with that. Each person should give what they've decided in their heart because we're the people of God. Another thing that Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart and where your money goes are connected. 
when, when what we give money to is a direct reflection of what's important to us. We, I think I've said it before in, in church. I can tell you, you, let me look at somebody's checkbook. Let me look at their bank statement, and I'll tell you in ten minutes what's most important in their lives. Because where we give our money is reflected by what are, is important in our heart. Think about how much people take care of the things that they've spent the most money on. Somebody, somebody spent bought a brand new Lexus, which is, how do you do that? I don't know. That's like out of the realm of my thinking with my 25-year-old Toyota. <laughs> but it's like you watch them, and what do they do with that car? Man, they baby it. They wash it. They wax it. They park it in the garage. They buy a car cover for it. Uh, I don't know. They take care of that thing. Why? Because that's where their heart is, because that was a lot of money. That's how that's how that that's an example of how that works. Not everybody that drives a Lexus is obsessed with their car, but that that is one way, one picture of how that works. Where your treasure is there, your heart is also your heart will follow where your money goes. And so what that comes back to is us as people of New Life Fellowship. If we believe that what's important, what's happening at New Life Fellowship is important. If our heart is connected here, we'll give. If we if we think it's you know important that we gave out. 55,000 pounds of food last year, we'll start to give. You know, if we think it's, it's important and our heart's connected because we get 40 to 50 kids from the neighborhood that come on Wednesday night and we have an opportunity to father them and impart something godly to them, then we begin to give. That's all that means. If, if your heart is part of New Life Fellowship, you'll give here. What you've decided in your heart to give, happily, not under compulsion or reluctantly. So that's the people in the church. The other way I said that money comes into the church. Look at, look at your neighbor and say, I'm excited to have an opportunity to give here. I, mean, I thought about it, though. I'm like, man, that was, it was either really long or people weren't really in agreement with it, the way that sounded. That's, we'll go with that, Mike, that it was really long to say, not... I believe we could come to a point where we say that and we mean it. I'm excited to have a chance to give here because I love what we do in the community. The way we minister to people, the people we take care of, the, the plus that I get out of my life for coming and being part of this family. It makes me excited to be able to give here. Uh, the other way that money comes into the church, and I'm just going to read a couple verses and make a couple comments and close. Money comes in from people outside of the church. It is actually a biblical promise that money from outside of the kingdom will flow into the kingdom. Uh, Isaiah 60, talking about uh, prophesying really about the church. He says, your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession. So there's this picture of the kingdoms outside of the kingdom of God, people beginning to bring the wealth of the nations into God's kingdom. Why? So that the doors can never be shut, so that the message continues to be proclaimed to all the earth, because God's plan is the one that he's ultimately going to finance and that will prevail in the earth. His plan that all men would be saved and that they would know the gospel of Jesus. Isaiah 61, 6 says, you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. And then he says this amazing statement to the priests and the ministers. He says, you will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches, you will boast. 
So there's something about God causing that transfer to occur where people would be stirred to finance what's happening in the kingdom of God. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says this, To the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Man, all those people that we look at at work and we're thinking, oh, you know, how could you make money your pursuit? We ought to be praying, man, God bless them so that their wealth can be transferred into the kingdom. <laughs> Actually, we ought to be praying that they get transferred into the kingdom. That's, that's because people are more important than money. So, yeah, even I got to remind myself of that all the time. Uh, and Proverbs thirteen twenty two says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. God actually says that wealth that's in their hands was laid up for the righteous to be blessed. Those verses all speak of people outside the church. And I believe that we, as the people of God, actually have a part to play in helping make that transfer happen. Now, God could sovereignly stir somebody in the workplace to say, hey, you need to give to that church. And all it like hits them out of the blue and they're like, why do I have to give to the church? I don't even know them. That could happen. But more likely how it's going to happen is one of us is going to encounter our friend or our person in the workplace, our boss, whoever it is. And we're going to begin to tell them, guess what we do at our church? Man, have you ever wanted to help people in the inner city? Have you ever wanted to bless kids? Have you ever wanted to feed people to be a part of that? You can start to tell people about that and say, hey, this is how you could partner with us. We, we have opportunities for you to come give and to help people be blessed. That's more likely how that transfer takes place than God sovereignly hitting somebody with a bolt of lightning and saying, hey, you just need to all of a sudden start to give to a church. It's going to be through the people of God. Praying for those people and having those encounters. I have a, I have a pastor friend. All he does all the time, he, he actually cultivates relationships with people in the marketplace. And all he does all the time is talk about stories of people whose lives have been transformed at their church. Yeah. He, yeah. he sends these guys, these business guys, he sends them pictures. Here's a community meal we had last month. Yeah. Let me tell you the story. You know, these couples came to our church. Their marriages were falling apart and they got back together. And you know what happens? Those people say, that's really great, Pastor. How can we be a part of that and partner with you? And they never darken the door of his church. But something inside stirs them that like, wow, I need to give you something because people are being touched and loved and transformed. And I don't I don't even know how that's happening, but it's a good thing. and I want to be a part of it. The, the bolt of lightning. I don't know how it even happened, but we're next door before church. And Tammy says, let me check the answering machine before I run next door. There's a message on our answering machine. From Wells Fargo. And they said, hi, this is so-and-so from Wells Fargo. And I wanted to speak to a representative of the church because we have a property on Bologna Street that we'd like to donate to you. And we'd like to give you $10,000 to fix it up. <laughs> That's what I said. I was like, play that again. I'm like, did she just say what we think she said? And so we played it like three times. And we're like, she said Wells Fargo wants to give us a property in the community. So I guess the bolt of lightning could happen. I, I don't know how they got our name or how, like, hey, where did they hear a story of that? That church does stuff in the community. But I'm like, there's people calling and wanting to give us property and money to fix it up. So I told Tammy, we're going to call that lady first thing Monday morning and find out more details. Because uh, 
I don't, I don't even know about it, but I'm inclined to say yes, because because I know that one of the promises that God gives in his word is that the wealth of the nations will be transferred into the kingdom. And anything that I can do to not stand in the way to make that happen, I'm going to see that that happens. I don't. And, you know, like, Pastor, what are you going to use the house? And I don't know. We're going to use it for something if they want to give it to us. I haven't I haven't thought that far ahead. I just heard the message this morning. So please. So it's like stuff like that that makes me not get as worked up about, well, hey, that was a big number that we went back. We spent more than we brought in last year. God knows. God knows. And he's going to cause things to come that are going to enable us to do the work. You know, what What if it's like, hey, fix that house up for ten thousand dollars and turn around and sell it so you can do this other thing. And I don't know. But all I know is somebody out of the blue calls us and says, we want to give you this. And I say, OK, man. Let's go ahead and stand. I want to I want to close here this morning. After after all these these weeks that we've had together, I'm trusting that we've evaluated our relationship with money and making sure that it stays in a good place, that, that we are generous with our money, that we are thankful that God has poured it into our lives and that we become people that want to give. That's that's if we get nothing else out of this whole series, I'm not going to I'm going to stop saying that. I'm going to say I hope we got a lot out of this series that people are more important than money and that God wants us to be generous. And we have a good relationship with money and we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to go out. We're going to sing something upbeat to go out because giving and being generous should stir feelings of cheerfulness and excitement in us that make us want to be givers. But uh, as we go today, the altar will be open if you've never met Jesus and you want to do that for the first time, you're welcome to come up to the altar this morning. If you or somebody in your family is sick and you want prayer for them, please don't leave this morning without coming to get some prayer at the altar. Father, I thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the hearts of people that give and that serve in New Life Fellowship. Lord, this is an amazing family of people that are willing to lay down lives to serve and to give and to continue to love people. Uh, no matter what. God, I ask that you would continue to prosper each family that's represented in this room, whether, whether it's a single person family, a single mom, or married with kids, whatever it is, whatever that family looks like, God, prosper them. God, cause your blessings to be poured out into such a way that it stirs us with grateful hearts and it stirs us to be givers and to share with others. Lord, I love you this morning. Each one of us in this room, we say that we love you, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. Not even forget all this stuff for a minute. We just love you, Lord, because you are worthy. You're the only one that's worthy of unconditional love. That same love that you give to us, you're worthy of it back. God, I ask that you would bless each person as they leave this place today. Let us go in confidence, knowing that our steps are ordered by you, that you direct every one of our paths, that all we have to do is commit them to you, and you take care of the plans. Lord, let your favor and your goodness continue to be poured out upon our lives. Let us see you at every turn. Let us come into agreement with where you're at work in our lives and celebrate that. We just give you honor and praise right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can sing on the way out. You can come to the altar, but you are officially dismissed. Good, Joe. I want to scream.